This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Joining us now, a longtime friend of the program, friend of all sports fans uh, in Denver. Very few people have been doing it in this town for as long or as well as our next guest, Terry Fry. T Fry F R E I is the correct spelling on Twitter, of course. A longtime sports writer and a novelist. Terry, thanks for uh, joining the program. It's nice to be able to, to get you on here. Uh, obviously, the news of the New York Times uh, basically scrapping it or outsourcing its sports desk to the athletic, which it purchased last year is sort of its own thing because not every newspaper has its own uh, organization that it purchased, but it is part of a larger trend of moving away from the day-to-day coverage of sports teams. And as someone who has done that for as long as you have, I guess I'd like to just ask you first, what do fans lose? I actually thought the more impactful move was the Los Angeles times moving back its deadlines to like three in the afternoon and not, not covering games at night with box scores or anything else. I thought that was more impactful. But the New York Times, obviously, uh, it just depends on whether it's the leading edge for fans and, and the leading edge for coverage uh, as we move forward, and I think it is. I think we've, we've reached a point now where where the idea of actually covering every game and, and uh, including by new details about games is really behind us now, and I'm actually – for it, I just think it was handled so clumsily that uh, it, it's it's almost maddening. That they gave on what they're going to do, and I, I want to just read this to you and get your reaction. This is from the New York Times. They actually to the newsroom. The- they actually covered the story pretty well. Did they did. Really I thought the two reporters sort of who covered the story did a pretty good job. They obviously said, well, I'm only writing this story unless you let us handle it. We're, right. We're only going to do this story if you handle, let us handle it professionally. Right. And they did very much. It was really right. kind of stunning. Right. But here's the quote. We plan to focus even more directly on distinctive high-impact news and enterprise journalism about how sports intersect with money, power, culture, politics, and society at large. At the same time, we will scale back the newsroom's coverage of games, players, teams, and leagues. Um, I agree with you on the games part because you can get box scores. The New York Times hasn't been printing box scores for a long time. And you just explained how the L.A. Times won't be doing it anymore either. Uh, But... Is that a statement that you would like to pick apart? Well, actually, I thought when I thought when the athletic was coming in, that's what they were going to try to do. Instead, they tried to pick up minute uh, minute beat coverage with like right. tell, telling fans on Twitter uh, who has the red no contact no contact uh, sweaters on at the morning skate for the Avalanche. Right. I thought they were going to be, they've done some terrific work. They have some terrific people working for them. But I I think in this case, it's, uh, it's almost a obvious union busting. uh, Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the athletic people are not in the union. The New York times writers and desk people are. And so it was, it was kind of uh, transparent there. So I, I, I do think that that's the way to cover sports nowadays, but I also do, I also think there's a way to kind of mix the two. But I thought the athletic was going to be trying to do that. Instead, instead they they uh, 
lined up the tra- the modes of traditionalism and has been kind of overcovering the minutia of sports. Terry, do you, the- agree, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, curious. you know what? I actually do because I thought they were going to try to try to straddle that line a bit, yeah. and I I think uh, just kind of maybe fell into some old habits, and I I think that's actually been a challenge for them because they, they hired, had to cut as well. Yeah, they hired a full circle of of former beat writers who uh, who really aren't going to revolutionize the business, and uh, I I was really surprised by the approach they took. I thought I think the way to cover sports now is with all all commentary, all you know, and I'm. I, you know, and I, I basically kind of agree with people. That. People yeah. may uh, disagree or be surprised by coming from somebody with my background, but but I, I I'm very proud of making the adjustments, moving through uh, the transition and the evolution of sports writing. But I also think that the, the time has come where where people know what happened in the games, and unless you're explaining to them, providing answers that were raised during the game, I think the actual coverage of the game has become outmoded. The the thing that I think is interesting, and I think you're exactly right about that, is the the outlets that are doing, I think, the best job of handling that that commentary, whether it's you know from uh, whether it's putting together podcasts or whether it's putting together little stories of in depth features or the or the quick hit stuff or social media, it's become the teams themselves who yeah. have the ability and the and the finances and the wherewithal to do that. And now, the access, the self-access. Oh, right, sure. Right, uh, <laughs> unlimited access. And so now the teams themselves have done that. The challenge is, even though uh, having some transparency is valuable because you are trying to still sell tickets and you're trying to get people to tune in on television, there's also a tremendous adva- advantage in covering up some of the blemishes. Yes. And have you read a lot about have you read a lot about Nichushkin the last couple of weeks? Right, exactly. That's exactly the kind of story that, I think we'll be missing now from the New York Times anyway. Right. Well, and, 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 and it, 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 because were there going they're to be basically saying we're not into that sort of thing anymore. Right. Uh, unless, that, that, unless of course it has some international political intrigue well, to it, apparently, which who knows it, it may very may well or be. may not. But Terry, that's, that's the challenge. And I guess I don't look at it and, and you can't look at it as zero sum game as if the teams and, and their own sort of public relations, and I shouldn't say public relations, their, their own uh, departments, uh, of broadcast departments, for lack of a better term, are the enemy. They are not. But how do we cover things going forward in concert with that, understanding that there are things that, by nature, it's to their advantage to keep to themselves? Well, if I, if I can kidnap that question a little bit, I think the traditional media has only itself to blame in this sense. Uh, one of the reasons The Athletic was founded was because traditional media were stepping away from covering things like CSU football. Uh, with an with a high verve and energy, and so I think that that's and now that we have team, we actually have people who are writing for the school websites, the team websites. And I think what in some of these observations we've made the last few days, I think we've over focused on the big, 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 the big products like L.A. Times and New York Times. And what's really happened is they've cut their they've uh, made their own bed in the sense of of now the schools responded, the teams responded, and they have the better access. And so uh, we, it was partially our fault. The best piece of sports journalism done this week, and I want to get your reaction to this, agree or disagree, oh, yeah. was done by the Northwestern Student Newspaper that basically outed their hazing practices through yes. 
a, a tremendous Great amount point. of vigor and resolve, and it it it, it was brilliant sports journalism. Difference if if you coverage. read the piece, and it changed the mind of the Northwestern uh, administrator who was in charge of making the final decision on Pat Fitzgerald ended up being fired by Northwestern. That was befuddling how it went from a two-game suspension to a firing virtually in in 10 seconds. So uh, I'd have to read all of that to make that judgment. I thought that... But but they covered it better than any of the regular newspapers did out of Chicago. The best story, though, and I think Sandy will agree with me on this, and so will you, Sean, was Sally Jenkins' story on Martina Navratilova and Chris Evans. Uh, that, that's been phenomenal. Well, yes, that, that was tremendous. That was, that was tremendous. But, but you're talking but, about... But I'm a, saying uh, what the kind of reporting that only a dedicated... Uh, well, the, without it, a, a, an important change or, doesn't happen. It, it, it wouldn't have happened. Right. Well, and the, uh, the idea that this hazing, oh, the coach didn't know... And, and, you know, I'm enough of a cynic to think that maybe they would have found another way to handle if, if they hadn't gone 1-11 last year. I, I, I get that. But the, the, I, they, they did a better job of exposing Fitzgerald yes, than the, the regular newspapers did out of Chicago. To me, this is a mixed bag, though. I've been around too many student journalists the last maybe 10 years uh, who, who think that sitting in a coach's news conference and availability with a laptop on their lap and live tweeting what the coach is saying is great reporting. And because they don't ask questions because they're too busy typing out, the, transcribing. But the, that's uh, what made this unusual. Interview. They didn't do that. They did just the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't care about access. But but you're right. That has become the exception rather than the rule. And it, and, and just looks around. I look around in those sessions, and it's just maddening to me. Yeah. The, the, the young journalists think that that's it's that's the way to go. Not that. just young journalists uh, who, who are doing that. <laughs> They're not the only. Uh, you you know that as well as I do. You know, you, if if you follow yeah, on sure. social media, you will watch a Denver Broncos press conference, and in real time, you will watch uh, twenty to thirty accounts simply parroting exactly what what you quite frankly could have just watched on the Broncos on website in real well, time. That's another thing about the, the, the athletics impact is that uh, a lot of their impact isn't so much by actually reporting and writing, writing and producing the written word. It's because they they've become Twitter machines and they become, they become uh, actual interview sources like on frankly on radio shows and like that. And I don't think that they have been as impactful as they could have been if they focused more on great writing. Now that, that this is going to be, and that this has been the challenge, right? I, there's been the idea that, that nobody is, is reading, writing anymore, that everything will be video or everything will be a, a podcast. The, the truth is that's not actually the case. There is still no. and always is a, an audience for reading. But knowing that, that newspapers are trying to kind of move away from this or in the Times uh, on admission, trying to find a way to turn sports into another, uh, and I'm oversimplifying, but to the, read the report, this is what I thought from the New York Times own release, to turn sports into another political tool to get uh, reaction or get responses or get clicks, however you want to term it, but to turn sports into another tool in which the sort of uh, ongoing culture war is everyone stirred up all the time because it's the only way they believe they'll be able to keep people on their website. Well, uh, MSNBC is on a lot of the time in our house. I don't want I don't want sports writing to become another MSNBC. 
I love MSNBC. My political inclinations are along those lines. I love everything about it. But if if you turn try to turn sports into, you can overdo it. And I think ESPN does it at times, uh, kind of the lazy way out by labeling it that because uh, they won't admit their shortcomings. But uh, I just think that there's there's a better way to to incorporate all the new technology, all the all the uh, new wave journalism, but still still have room for quality writing. Am I mean, we going to see right? Red Smith, George Vesey, <laughs> Dave Anderson. Right. right. You know, and, and, and we think we all know. Sandy, you you especially understand those, those Eastern columnists more than Sean or I do, uh, the New York Times traditional columnist of sports for our times. Absolutely. I think I think you understand that. But did, did you ever once see any of those any of those great great writers go for the cheap click? Of course not. <laughs> to go for the lowest common denominator? Never. Never. And you might agree or disagree with uh, what they were writing, but they wrote, first of all, on big subjects and issues, and they didn't care how many people read them. And it's because they had the backing of the newspaper to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and at this point, that's where I think the hard part is, 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 Terry, is that the the newspapers itself, or and, and we we limit this to newspapers. It's not newspapers. It's radio stations. It's television stations. It's websites. The the overseers and the owners of these get nervous when you don't uh, get eyeballs, and they want to steer. You know, we used to we used to call it confirmation bias, which still yeah. exists. And this is a bit of a, a getting into the weeds a little bit. But the idea, and I'll, I'll liken it to uh, Steve Jobs and make of him what you will, but famously said when, you know, creating a Apple products that what we need to do is we need to bring customers something they don't know they need until yeah. they see it as opposed to give them what they want. And we've flipped that on its head in modern media where we're afraid if we don't give somebody what they want, then they'll never, give, they'll never come back. Well, the great John Branch in the New York Times, by the way, who's a yes. local boy. And uh, a Pulitzer Prize winner, by the way. <laughs> Has said he said he likes to write stories that you didn't know you wanted to read. Well, he wrote he got the Pulitzer for a feature on a deadly avalanche in Washington State back in 2013. Mm-hmm. He made people interested in a subject that I don't know on first blush maybe he wouldn't be that interested in. No, very because very his writing was so good, and we we talked about John. Uh, a little more than a month ago when uh, he he wrote a wonderful uh, historical piece on the Nuggets that only someone who had uh, spent a lot of time around here could have written. You know, another former sports writer, uh, and I don't think people, too many people remember or know this, David Von Rilly, the terrific writer for the Washington yes. Post, started out, as a, started out at the Denver Post as a part-time sports writer while in high school. Exactly. And... and uh, even played for our formidable softball team and, and uh, lobbied for playing time with the manager of me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you, you, were, you, you were, in that sense, Fondrelli's boss. Yes. Yeah, and the only other thing, and I, I raised it a little bit earlier, I, when, I, when we get caught up in the New York and the Los Angeles and the yeah. San Diego being bought yeah. and, and the, the larger market newspapers, the bigger toll is the big, the, the most, and an and unfortunate toll has been newspapers like the Eugene Register, right. one of the most right. terrific small medium market newspapers in the country, perhaps the best. Now it's just a sheer skeleton, a mere skeleton of itself with a couple right. of reporters. 
And it was one of the best newspapers in the country, regardless of market size. And I think we're seeing it. There's another paper in the state. I ticked them off the last time I brought this up. But there's another newspaper in the state that's going through this kind of the same thing through the through the, the Gannett machinations right. involved around right. it. I think most people will understand what, what, what I'm talking about. But there are many, many newspapers now where, you, where the deadline is 3 in the afternoon. Yeah. The papers are getting laid out in Dallas or something <laughs> like that. And uh, they have to – I remember one of my dad's players at the University of Oregon passed away. And uh, the, the young man who was uh, doing the – the obituary and the story on him said, "I, you know, we were in a hurry. To, we were in a hurry to talk because his deadline was three in the afternoon, and, and that's just ridiculous. That, uh, that that that's taken a great toll on sports journalism and all of journalism has been the the owners, the newspaper ownerships, uh, bleeding the papers dry." That's that's the last one I wanted to ask you, Terry. Is where do you see the business of sports journalism five years from now or ten years from now? Uh, I teach I teach sports writing mm-hmm. at, at MSU Denver, and you can ask Anila about this. But you, uh, the final exam is tell me what it's tell me what sports journalism is going to be like <laughs> in fifteen years, and I don't have a right answer for that. But I want them to think about. And I'm seeing a little bit of it online now. Are are young sports journalists sports journalists taking measure of where they are, where the profession is going. I don't want them to wake up at age 35 and realize, oh, God, what am I going to do now? And so uh, I don't have a nice pat answer for that, but I, I think the best, the best way it could go is to keep the most talented writers in it, uh, de-emphasize this kind of minutia of, of uh, the line rushes at the morning skate or who got up with a sprained ankle at Broncos practice and, and get great writing back into it. In, in any kind of whether it's pure online, uh, and and this may be, this may sound uh, another kind of an incredible incredulous opinion coming from someone of my ilk. Uh, if they're going to kill off the print product, just kill it off. Let's just move forward. They're they're doing the owners of print newspapers are are just are ble- bleeding the profits dry, right. uh, uh, and uh, making it a mere shadow of itself in terms of quality. Uh, let's just get rid of the print product and concentrate on, on getting great writing back into it instead of the minutia. He is Terry Fry. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at T Fry. And of course, for everything that uh, Terry puts together, make sure you go to terryfry.com. Uh, that's the easiest way to find out uh, all of it and all the books uh, as well. Novelist, writer, and uh, as well with Sandy, uh, you two guys are the two that have been around doing this for the most consistent amount of time. So I can't figure two uh, people to talk to any better about it. Thanks for basically letting me uh, sit in and get an education. Appreciate it. Thanks, gentlemen. All right. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, TerryFry.com, again, is the website. T-E-R-R-Y. But you have been an actual editor. At a newspaper. Yeah. Terry, I don't know that Terry has spent a lot of time doing that. Maybe some. But, of course, I have no experience in that area. So you, you... of, because of again, it's uh, with USA. Perfectly that's, that's a that's a national newspaper, and so I'm doing my part uh, right. in Denver, even though it's right. going to be released, you know, even internationally. Sure. So different animal, and especially when you're talking about those deadlines, it really is difficult. And and maybe Terry's point may be very valid there that the advantages of digital media uh, are as much that deadlines don't matter the same way. You don't have to have something seven hours because you don't have to print out a hundred thousand copies of it. Uh, you can get it up when it needs to get up, 
and, and put it up on time. And so uh, that that's that may be what we end up looking like. On the bright side right here, that's what we're doing already, just letting you know. Uh, we have beat writers for all the teams right here on Mile High Sports. MileHighSports.com is the website. And we still do put together a magazine every other month, the golf issue out right now with the now former Denver Nugget, <sighs> Bruce Brown, on the cover. But you can catch that uh, all over town as well. Uh, MileHighSports.com is the website. It's also, by the way, where you can catch this show uh, live, and you can also see it as we stream it online as well. Trying to do all those things that we talked about. You know, it is going to be a, uh, a multimedia approach and a fascinating time to be in sports. If nothing else, uh, there is always change, and, and these changes come in, in fits and spurts, and then sometimes the big ones. It feels like over the last uh, a little bit, we talked about the, the L.A. Times decision, now the New York Times decision. Uh, that's one of those big moments in which things start to change pretty dramatically. The Denver Broncos over at the Athletic were surveyed. They've served over 500 fans about feelings of the Broncos, and there are interesting ways to look at it. Are Broncos fans bullish? Of course they are. They're always bullish. Are they less bullish But then before? We'll go over some of them because I didn't get a chance to go through these. I'll go through them with Sandy next in Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Not a lot of not a lot of songs with accordion in it. And, uh, pop music. The, the hit Congo's there with uh, that one, by the way. Played, uh, I remember, because... The previous Super Bowl in Arizona, not the one, of course, uh, this fall. They ended up playing the media part. These guys did. So there's your random factoid that you don't care about. But anyway, the kind of stuff you only get here. The Denver Broncos were uh, the subject of conversation for uh, The Athletic, who interviewed uh, mm-hmm. or at least polled 500-plus Broncos. That's right. Including you, by the way. So yes. some experts I, involved. I did participate. Uh, as well. And, and we went through some of them, and for the most part, it, it, it's kind of interesting to look at it because you expect fans to be bullish and you expect fans to be excited, and they have been. But I guess I look at it, and I'm surprised. I, I, there I appears to relatively be restrained. maybe some fatigue yeah. Yeah. as the Broncos are, are mired in their worst stretch as an NFL franchise. Uh, a bit of a, as you said earlier in the show, a bit of a, you know, what John Payton and other coaches love to say, don't tell me, show me. Show me. I, I, I've had you tell me. For seven years, how good thing, <laughs> particularly the last six, how, how much we're going to win, and for six straight years, we lost. Yeah. And that has never happened to a Bronco NFL nope. team. Nope. Had to go to the old Six straight losing seasons. Now, there have AFL. been, uh, for seven years, the Broncos are in the NFL. They did not make the playoffs, 70 through 76, but they mixed in several winning seasons <laughs> within that seven-year stretch. And... On one occasion in particular, 1973, they were playing the Raiders. I remember watching as what would I have been then? 16. Uh, because it was NBC's national game. NBC had had uh, uh, the AFC back then. Kurt Gowdy, I think, probably was doing the game. And it was the last game of the season at the uh, Oakland... Uh, Oakland Mausoleum, as it's now <laughs> called, and as Chris Berman first dubbed it, the Mausoleum. Uh, 
And it was a tight game, 21-17, something like that. The Raiders won, of course, and the Broncos did not go to the playoffs. Had they won that game, though, the Broncos would have gone to the playoffs in 1973. And 73, 74, 75, all winning seasons. Well, 75 wasn't. 75 was 76. 76 76. Yeah. So three 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 of the four previous year before going to the Super Bowl. They had winning records. And their, their first winning season as a franchise was 1973, yes. Uh, but they were very close to making the playoffs that year. Uh, not quite as good the next year, although played a, a famous one. Overtime was first introduced, played, I believe, the first overtime game uh, ever uh, in the regular season against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who would uh, go to the Super Bowl that year and win it. Uh, part of that, yeah, part of that huge and, steel curtain uh, dynasty. Uh, Terry Bradshaw was not the quarterback that day. Joe Gillum was the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it ended in a tie, though it, it went to overtime, and um, was, I believe, the first regular season overtime game played in the NFL. Obviously, there were others played that came after that. Uh, but in any case, we know we've been dealing with six straight losing seasons, so uh, I, I think the reaction, if you weren't listening earlier, how far will they go this year? Uh, maybe a little more optimistic than I would be, but relatively restrained. Number of wins, again, uh, between 8 and 10. Well, that includes 8 and 9 as a possibility for some of the 73.8% uh, who voted for that being the range that's most appropriate for the Broncos as opposed to uh, 5 to 7 wins, 0 to 4 wins, 11 to 13 wins. Uh, AFC West Plurality had them finishing third. That's where I'd put them. Uh, right or wrong direction? Well, based on last year, it certainly seems like a more correct direction. Mm-hmm. And the fans feel that way, 84.5%. But 11.7% said, I have no idea. In other words, you got to show me and not just tell the, me. You've the, been telling me for a long time. I, I was thinking about even that that losing streak you're talking about, six straight losing seasons. And I just double, I double checked. I just took a look while we were talking about it because I thought that was right. Um, the second longest streak of losing seasons well, in Broncos the, history. The AFL team. If you count, oh, but if you oh. just count the NFL team, it's 70, 71, 72 before the winning record of right. 73. Right. Three. Three. The Broncos' three. longest streak of losing seasons as an NFL team as prior an NFL team. was three. It was three. Now it's six. Now it's six. Double the worst right. in its history. That's right. And it comes off Double. a Super Bowl win. And 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 good luck in finding Super Bowl teams that have missed the playoffs after winning the Super Bowl for the next seven years. Well, Happy hunting. You won't find You won't find any. You won't find it. Yeah, that, that you won't you won't simply hasn't it. happened. So there you go. Um so uh will the Broncos get to the Super Bowl during the time in which Sean Payton is the head coach. Uh, yeah, I had that as a... 62.8% said yes. Yeah, I, said no, I said no. But 62.8% isn't extraordinarily high. And remember, it's not win the Super Bowl, it's just, just get, get to there. It. At some point, well, Sean Payton might be here five years, 10 years, 15 years, in New Orleans for 16 years, coach for 15 of the 16 years uh, there. So uh, who knows? 59 years old. I doubt it'll be 15 years, uh, but we'll see. Um and uh, the other question, I think, uh, had to do with grading uh, the owners. Uh, tough thing to do. They've been in control for less than a year. Uh, 86% plus said either A or B was the appropriate 
grade. I gave him a C, which is more like an incomplete. Uh, the only choices were A, B, C, D, and F, right. so C was the closest I, I could B come minus, to. but that's incomplete. not incomplete. No, okay. B minus is not an option either. All right, let's go to George Payton. The grade you would give George Payton since taking over as the general manager of the Denver Broncos, A, B, C, D, or F. Hardly anyone gave him an A, 4.4%. B and C were the most popular choices. Which got more, B or C, for George Payton? Um, C, I presume. Yes. 40.8% said C, as I did. 36.5% said B. 14% gave him a D. And uh, the same number of people gave him an F as had given him an A. I would say the C is fair, and especially because one of the things that we, it's easy to do, you look back and the Russell Wilson trade has been a disaster, and and you look at that and say, okay, well, George Payton did a terrible job. Well, you you also have to look at things in their contemporary times. Hackett hiring was worse. Hackett hiring was was worse. The, The Russell Wilson trade, when the Broncos made it, and even for what the Broncos paid, Half of the league would have happily made that trade. It, it was widely no one in the NFC West, but it yes. was widely <laughs> considered across many, the league to be teams. a coup for the oh, Denver oh, sure, Broncos. Sure. And so I get that it has not worked out, but I'm not willing to necessarily say because the trade, which everybody thought was good at the time, yeah. didn't pan out, that George Payton's a fool. I don't think that's well, no. fair. Uh, again, the Hackett hiring was I, much now, worse. The Hackett hiring in an attempt to lure Aaron Rodgers. That was a gambit yeah, that wasn't I, worth it. I, I think he got he outsmarted himself on that one. First, uh, he he has said over and over again in his own mind, Aaron Rodgers was was never really in play, which I think was our collective view as well. Mm-hmm. But then, if that's the case, why go after Hackett? Well, I had uh, I had two coaches that I wanted that we talked about on our show. One was Doug Peterson, him. that would have worked. The other one was Kevin O'Connell. He seemed to do okay. Well. It, O'Connell especially, and John Elway, of course, a few months after the Hackett hire had gone sour, uh, around (laughs) October, told our friend Chris Thomason, who was then working in Minneapolis, that uh, Kevin O'Connell would have been his choice had he been in charge, which he, of course, was not. not. It was uh, George Payton. Well, I I can say that, too. Had I been in charge, I would have hired uh, uh, Kevin O'Connell. The the other choice for me, and I acknowledge that he was already going elsewhere, uh, almost certainly, Going from Buffalo to the New York Giants, Brian Dable. Right, we was, love Dable, but he wasn't really coach a realistic option. No, yeah, coach of the year. Yeah, uh, so I mean, the, the, there the were NFL. there were better hires. Uh, that one, I agree with you. I think Doug the, Peterson for sure. I that was the one that to me seemed like the yeah. simplest after going with previous uh, right. inexperienced coaches. I'm like, just yeah, go get a guy that you, didn't, you he's, he's got a Super Bowl ring. He knows what any, he's doing. Didn't that, make any yeah, sense. I didn't. All right, uh, let's get to this. Right now, the most valuable Bronco player is Pat Sertan. Overwhelmingly, which surprised me, 67.7%. Justin Simmons, only 14%. That's that's who's second, though. Russell Wilson, 12.6%. Yo, That's high. He he was almost as popular as an MVP choice as Simmons. That's insane. Uh, Jerry Judy, one point eight percent, and then a host of others yeah. who've got. And the funny thing is, I, I minimal consideration. I, I guess I get it because, in part, and we 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 talked about this. We talked about this when it was coming around the the NFL draft and the idea there would be trade. There are two, and only two players on the Denver Broncos in which you would ask around the league, and every team would say yes, we'd like them. 
Just two. And we give up a first for him. So it's Sertan and Simmons. Those are the only Those two. Those are the only two. Only two on the entire roster. I, I'm just surprised. I, I'm not surprised it was Sertan as much as I'm surprised it was so one-sided. Me too. More Especially than two-thirds said Sertan. Uh, Simmons, really, Simmons has such a great personality, and he's been with the team longer. Simmons, but And Simmons is more disruptive, picks off more right. passes. And, you know, here's where I think, and you'll you'll possibly, quite probably, I think, disagree with me on this a little bit. At least a little bit. Remember when the Broncos were national TV darlings during the first half of last year? Right. Which we saw but with the schedules, right. When yep. the schedules came out, oh, yeah. it was almost entirely directed were, at the first half of the season. The so there was half. a curiosity about the Broncos, mm-hmm. but still skepticism that they'd be a team not worth featuring much, if at all, during the second half. Half yep. of the season. That's absolutely And that's true. kind of the way it worked out, I think, even among fans here locally, that after watching the Broncos for half a season, people knew what they were seeing. Sure. And knew it wasn't going to get a lot better and perhaps didn't pay as much attention during the second half of the season. Well, if you would ask that question, of someone who really followed the Broncos at least as closely in the second half of the season as a given person might have followed them in the first half of the season. You would have had trouble, more trouble making the argument for Satan because Simmons was spectacular the second half of the season, mm-hmm. save for that one game in which everybody was bad in Los Angeles and they right. got 51 points put up and lost 51 to 14. And that was a disgraceful performance by just about everybody, including Simmons and Sutan. But otherwise, Simmons was by far the more impactful player. And it also became clear in the second half that teams, for whatever reason, were a little more willing to throw at Sutan than they had been during the first half of the season when they hardly ever threw at him. And you could understand people looking at the first half and saying, oh, Sertan's the, the MVP, hands down. But the second half, I think if you were fair about it, Simmons had a much better second half than yep, Sertan he did. did. He did. And, and so if it was it the is, second it half It is surprising season, that it's that. I, I figured it would be a little more split. I'm not surprised it's those two guys, yeah. but uh, I'm a little surprised it's so heavily And And Sertan. almost as many people voted for Wilson. Because the funny thing is, I mean, if you were to look around the league, uh, in fact, Sauce Gardner and Asante Samuel were... Uh, we still say beefing on Twitter? I don't think we really do. We do. Oh, Danny, Danny Bailey gave me the Twitter beef. So, uh, Twitter beef. That uh, Sauce Gardner was the best corner in the league. Asante Samuel argued it was Pat Sertan. Sauce didn't like that. You can go back and forth and find it if you'd like to watch the internet slap fight. Oh. But uh, uh, there is, there is, if not a consensus, a significant part of the NFL cognoscenti that believes that at this stage, Pat Sertan might be the NFL's best cornerback. Maybe. However, Maybe. there's actually more of a consensus around the idea that Justin Simmons is the best in his position. Yeah, and the the idea is that cornerback is more important position than safety. Uh, yes. That's kind of the way the game seems to be evolving. Uh, look at uh, what Seattle did when they got the guy from the Jets who got hurt a lot, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Adams? Yep. And it, it's a disaster, the kind of contract they gave him and the, and the picks they gave up. I mean... They, they kind of made up for it in uh, robbing Denver. Yes. But <laughs> that worked out pretty well. How many times 
over the years, you've been able to say the New York Jets fleece somebody. And Adams was a guy they did want to keep, but he didn't get along with Adam Gase, didn't like Adam Gase. Adam Gase right. got fired anyway. Uh, but Adams decided and he didn't want to play for the Jets it. anymore. Yeah. And the Jet, Jets got, got some draft picks back and actually got the better of the deal because, one, Adams is a safety you can't cover you or me. Uh, well, he's a big hitter. You're and he blitzes a, a lot. But people who play like Adams plays get hurt, right. too. And since he can't cover and he's always hurt, He's colossally overrated. I I said when he was with the Jets, I thought he was the most overrated player in the National Football League, hands down. I didn't, he's, Seattle he's had an offseason, but I mean that obviously did not work. But they did grab uh, the the guy that I was, uh, you know, if, I, if he had the proverbial stand on the table in the war room, uh, if I was in there, I was doing that for Tariq Woolen. Uh, thought that he was going to be a perfect, you know, mid round pick. Goes up there and just looks uh, phenomenal. So that uh, Seattle's done more or less a good job. But again, that's another one with the Jamal Adams trade. Around but, the but, league, but, but I, people I'm thought just, it was a good trade, that, that, and then, you know, it turns out it wasn't. Okay, and, but yeah. they, they overvalued a, right. a position. They did. And the player. They did. This is and, a double and there, had they not picked Woolen and had him turn into the, immediately the player that he right. did, Seattle's season probably goes very differently true. because their defensive backfield uh, looks very different. As good as Geno Smith was, that, that was, that was a key because the defense wasn't really very good otherwise, and that kept them to – from being a disaster. All right, we're uh, we're all through that. I got three more, and they're pretty quick. Um, we'll go to Russell Wilson. Uh, passer rating. Will he rank first through eighth? Oh no! Oh god! Ninth no. through fifteenth? Probably not. Sixteenth through twenty-third? Probably there. That's where I was, as you are. Twenty-fourth uh, or worse? Well, six and a half percent only had him first to eighth. 3.6% said 24th or worst. So let's go to 9th to 15th. And here's where fans, I think, are getting a little carried away. 65% Adam between 9th and 15th in passer rating. Uh, he was almost always in the top 10 in Seattle. But he ain't in Seattle anymore. He's in Denver. First now. year here, I think you and expect a little drop. Almost <laughs> 1 in 4, say 24.9%. 16th to 23rd, and that's where I would have. Well, we'll, ta- we'll tackle the rest of these uh, on the other side as well. And by the way, before we let you go, um, you know, make sure you come back because I know who's winning one of the ESPYs, and it's a guy in town, and we'll want to talk about that as well. We'll do that next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Let's take a look at some of these uh, the, the fan opinions on the Broncos. Yes, the very quickly. And then We've got you, two uh, left. Just a couple left, and then I will let you know. Uh, I'll spoil the ESPYs for you, at least a little bit of it. So you, I'll save you the time because, mm, well, we'll talk about my disdain for the ESPYs momentarily. Let's get back to the Broncos. Scoring offense, scoring defense, okay? Will they rank... 1 through 10, scoring offense. What? No. 1 through 10, no. 11 through 20, 21st or worse. 11 through 20 if they're lucky. I I, I think that Peyton can get them with health to okay. maybe 20. Okay. So I guess I would fall in the 11 to 20, but okay. on the low end of that. Well, uh, 21 or worse, 8.2%. 1 through 10, 11.3%. 80.5% okay. agree with us. 11. I mean, that's a big chunk. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a middling. Yes. 
offense. Middling yes. at best, but a big improvement which is over good. Uh, because, past um, years. In the last six seasons, in which the Broncos, by the way, have gone 35 and 63, they've been outscored by 329 points. Right. That's 3.4 per game over the last six years. Yes. Um, I, I think uh, having them as a middle-of-the-pack offense is An pretty optimistic. <laughs> yes. But there is the fact that in New Orleans, Sean Payton's worst scoring offense was his last one mm-hmm. without Drew Brees that finished 19th. 19th would look very good yeah, to would. the Denver Broncos it in would. 2023. I would, I, would, I would take it if I were the Broncos. Scoring sure. defense, 1 through 10, very high, in my opinion. 57.7%. Scoring defense? Scoring defense. No. 11 through 20. That's where I'm at. 41%. Okay. And 21st or worse, 1.8%. Who are the playmakers besides Simmons and Sertan? Even Sertan, Baron Browning's hurt, but Sertan, a lot of Sertan doesn't get, get a lot of interceptions, and the better he's getting, the less they're going to throw over there. Right. Yeah. Fifty-seven point seven percent seems high to me. Too. I'm sorry, fifty-seven point two percent seems high to me. Forty-one uh, percent. I I'd I'd flip it. I'd flip it. Yeah, I I, I, I would. Flip I, it. I think it's that eleven to to twenty range. And again, I think that would rec- that would basically be an upgrade. So anyway, that's just a sample. If the Broncos got to be questions. middling, then I think it'd be a middling yeah. team. They'd be about yeah. seven and ten, eight and nine. Okay, right. and, right. That, and that's I, that is getting things back in the right direction. It if, is not if, Super if the Bowl. range were seven to nine wins in this survey instead of eight to ten, I'd take seven to nine, and I think a lot of fans would take seven to nine. But it isn't. It's it's five to seven, and then eight to ten. So if if you'd like them eight and nine. You got to go for the eight to ten, and you know, I <laughs> I have them in that seven eight best case scenario nine and eight best case scenario nine and eight, and I can't imagine nine and eight would qualify for the playoffs. I guess wacky tiebreakers are always possible, right? But AFC is too good for a nine and eight team to qualify. NFC possibly. Quite possibly a nine and eight team could make it. AFC, I don't. Uh, see. Yeah, the AFC is is really really stacked. Obviously, it's too uh, good. It, it is. Well, we talked a little bit about uh, the SBs, which yes. is tonight. I'm, I, I look. I, I shouldn't say I have disdain. I'm completely ambivalent. I don't watch the SBs. I don't so care. Going right up if, against the All Star game, there's, another yeah. event that fewer yeah. fewer people if are watching. There's some great moment. You know, I know it'll. This, I'm on a speech. It'll be on the internet tomorrow. I don't need to spend three hours watching it to watch the the two minutes that might be amazing. Um, and and also in many of these cases, they already have awards. They're called championships. So yeah. and you don't necessarily need a, an SB for it. You know, that's like saying, well, cool, you you won the Super Bowl, but the best team is somebody else. I mean, what what are you going to do? Uh, however, maybe not. Maybe a smidge of a surprise because ESPN through its own employees completely torpedoed his MVP potential. Nikola Jokic is going to win the best NBA player for the SBs. Maybe uh, Mark Jackson will present it. Uh, or Kendrick Perkins, perhaps. Well, Kendrick Perkins would have had Nikola Jokic on his ballot. Mark Jackson did not. <laughs> exactly true. Uh, so Jokic will win the best NBA player. That is uh I don't think a surprise. Not only should he have won the MVP, whatever. Sorry, Philly fans, be salty, throw batteries, do whatever you do. The the question is about who which performed uh, in the playoffs. I don't think there are that many else. people yeah. who would, uh, even yeah. in Philadelphia, say that Joel Embiid 
is better than Nikola. Not after that flame out at the end of the playoffs, perhaps anymore. Well, in the meantime, Jokic is dominating the 10 triple doubles on the way to the title. The uh, Nuggets Center is also up for the best uh, overall athlete for men's sports. I, I can tell you in advance, I don't have any inside information. I have no inside information on Jokic winning, except for the fact that ESPN itself reported it. The NBA yeah. and ESPN decided to report it already that Jokic right. would win. So. Okay, you got that one. He is up for best uh, men's athlete, along with Aaron Judge of the Yankees, Lionel Messi of Argentina, and Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs. I can tell you already. He Ma- will not win. Mahomes, that. Will, Mahomes win it. will be there. Mahomes in person, has the, uh, and the personality, the gigawatt smile, and uh, Nikola Jokic is rafting in Serbia. And by and the way, hate speech. Mahomes is a great kid, and and a great selection for that. He broke he broke Drew Brees' record. Yeah, I know it's an extra game, but. I don't think anybody questions Mahomes' greatness, even as an all-time player at this stage. In many ways, uh, well, that to, second Super Bowl makes a makes yeah, a big difference. I think in many ways, similar to Jokic, both guys twenty-seven years old, both of them uh, could probably quit tomorrow and still make the Hall of Fame. Oh, absolutely! I mean, that's the kind of players uh, that they are, and uh, the Nuggets fans would certainly hope Jokic wouldn't, and hopes that Mahomes would, but. Um, He's not going to. He's not going anywhere. But uh, we will see for the rest of the ESPYs tonight. But Jokic will end up winning uh, the uh, the best NBA player. And, of course, I think it, in any regard, uh, being picked along with Messi and Mahomes and Aaron Judge, uh, that's good company. I don't, know, I don't know if the winning it matters necessarily so much. It's kind of that company you're considered at that group. Because how do you compare a basketball player to a soccer player to a football? I don't really know. But I think when you're talking about those guys and their performances last year, I have no problem saying those are the four best men's athletes on earth last year. I think that's fair. And I Absolutely. think it's nice to be in that company. So uh, Mahomes and, uh, by the way, Jokic, the two that, that got the big numbers, they won They uh, won the finals MVP, they've won the league MVP, and they've won the championship. So uh, we'll see how the rest of that shakes out. We will be back tomorrow. Thanks to Terry Fry for a really interesting and insightful discussion about the uh, present and future of sports media. Go check it out, by the way. If you missed it, you can obviously go to MileHighSports.com or on the Mile High Sports app. Uh, you can get any of the parts of the, any of the programs here, ours and everybody else's, uh, on demand whenever you'd like it. You can follow my Twitter or the Mile High Sports Twitter as well. You should be following at least the second, and if you feel like the first, that's Estrotar, S-D-R-O-T-A-R. Uh, we sent it out uh, as well, so you can catch that interview with Terry. Uh, it's a good one, and uh, you know, if you really want to understand where the media is going and what it means to you, as a fan, and it does mean something. Uh, make sure you check it out. That story's not going away anytime soon. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for making everything work. A little heavier lifting than uh, normal today for, for Danny. Uh, appreciate it a great deal. We will be back tomorrow. It's been uh, nice to be back. Missed all last week, and now it feels, and it's already Wednesday. I'm like, oh, man, I, that stuff built up. I'm ready to go. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Same time, same channel for Santa Clough. I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on My Life Sports.